0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, good morning, church. How are we this morning? How are we this morning? You look good this morning. Anybody excited to be in the presence of God? Man, what a joy and privilege it always is to honor and to minister God's word, but how much more of a double privilege and honor it is to do it at home. And uh, I'm so excited about what God's going to speak to our hearts today. If you came in today and you didn't receive a message card, uh, you can raise your hand right quick, and David, one of our ushers there in the back, will serve you. And just as always, as a reminder, you can always, of course, find the message as well on the Uversion app. I want us to go to the book of Hebrews as we're concluding our series today Hebrews, Christ is Better. I'd love for you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, i got to make a confession to you. When you try to preach the book of Hebrews in five weeks, and then you have Easter in one of those weeks, in which I uh, preached from a different passage, John 11, uh, it's difficult in those final remaining chapters to deduce or come to an understanding or direction of exactly where you want to go. It's such a theologically rich book, Hebrews is a remarkable, remarkable text, and the more you mine... Like a deep diver goes to the bottom of the ocean to mine out jewels. It's, it's, the same in, it's, it's the same case or it's true that when we start engaging God's word, we toil and we, we work hard to pull out some amazing truths. When you get to the book of Hebrews, it's not difficult to do that. Uh, it is just jam-packing. So I want you to start with me in Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to begin. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Hebrews chapter 10... Beginning in verse 19, he said, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, notice that, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. He said, by the new and living way that Jesus, he opened for us through the curtain. Speaking, of course, of the curtain in the temple that was rent from top to bottom, but now his body through his flesh he goes on in verse 21 and says, and since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus over the house of God, let us, everybody say let us. He said, let us draw near with a heart, or notice this, in full assurance, not half assurance, not three quarters assurance, not 98% assurance, but full assurance of faith. With our hearts, he said, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, evil meaning shameful, evil meaning um, meaning condemnation, an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Continue on. He goes on and, and he says, Let us hold the fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's what the back of my phone case says. For he who promised is faithful. Notice this. He goes on and says, And let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some or doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now jump to verse 35 with me, the same chapter. Notice what he says in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Jump down to verse 39 with me. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back. And are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. My God, that's an amazing verse right there. We are not in belonging to those who shrink back. We don't belong to those who are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now one more stretch of text. Hebrews chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, witnessing to our life, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. He says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the author and the editor of our faith. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He scorned its shame and he sat down at the right hand of God. Notice he says in verse 3, when you consider him who endures such opposition from sinners, you will not grow weary. You will not lose heart. Eugene Peterson says that adrenaline will be thrust into your soul. Amazing, amazing, beautiful passage. I want to speak to you from the subject this morning, let us. Everybody say, let us. I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick and say, let us be on the same team. No, seriously, let us be on the same team. Now get her number. Get reservations at Chili's, and the rest is history. Chili's is the place. Chips and salsa unlimited, right? Pray with me just for a few moments. Holy Spirit, we're really uninterested in the next few moments for you giving us information. What we desire is for you to encounter us and transform us, change us from the inside out, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen and amen. School. How many of you like school? School. I was a nerd, confession, I loved school, okay? I loved school. Once I got to college, life changed a little bit. I know when I was nearing the end of my undergrad, I was ready to be out of school and jump in. I was pastoring at the time, but I was ready to give my all. But school, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing, right? School's an amazing, amazing thing. Most people's favorite part of school was when it was done, you know? Like most people's favorite subject I talked to was, you know, uh, art, physical education, uh, recess, Lunch, homeroom, you know what I'm saying? That was their favorite subjects in school. But, you know, I was the kind of guy that I, I really loved school. And in school, you had something that you either hated or you love. There was no in-between on this assignment for the teacher. The teacher would stand up in front of the class one day, and she'd say, all right, class, for your year-end project, we're going to have a team project. Now, you remember the team projects? You remember the presentations? You remember you got to put five people together? The group project. Now, for me, being a doer, I hated team projects. Now, if you're talkers and you're half-lazy, you loved Team projects, right? But every team project had a, a multiplicity of personalities, right? They, they were known for uh, multiple people in each group. In fact, if you've never come across one of these people in a team project, you've just never been in a team project, there was the lazy procrastinator. You remember the lazy procrastinator. The lazy procrastinator was not helpful at all, right? The lazy procrastinator. You didn't even really know if they were really in the group, much less the class, and and they didn't show up much to any of the group meetings. And then, right at the very end, they would come up to you and they'd be like, "You know what? Uh, is there anything I can do for the group?" And you're like, "We don't need you by now, right?" And the teacher would usually get up as the semester progressed, and the teacher would say something like this with her glass just pull down she'd say now this is a project you could not wait until the night before to do the lazy procrastinator was like challenge accepted and this is what their night looked like before they went into (laughs) this is them okay all night long all night long before the project was happened that was the lazy procrastinator you remember them you remember the person who was the no-show you know the no-show the absolute no-show, no-show whatsoever, right? It's like, take the zero, buddy. You're you're no longer a part of our group. But they would show up and be like, hey, you know, it's an hour and a half before class. I was, you know, my dog ate my homework. My mom's been in the hospital. And, you know, I've been tracking around all these family issues the last few weeks. And I just want to ask, is there anything I might be able to help the group with, you know? You're like, come on. You know, like, where have you been the whole time? These are... Then the bad idea person. You know the bad idea person? They're like, they are totally on Mercury or a totally different planet. Like everybody's in the group and everybody's like, yeah, we're engaged. And they're like, well, maybe we should, you know. And it's like, what in the world is this guy doing? You know, it's like, what did he even, he even talk? I hated group projects. I could not stand team projects. Hated it. I'm a doer. I want to put my hands on the assignment and I want to do it myself. And I don't want you touching it. To be honest with you, I I, want to make the presentation. I want to be the one that stands up to give all the information that was studied. I just, that's who I am. But let's be honest. When you talk about life on this planet, it really is a team project. I can prove this biblically. We are relational beings by nature. God has designed us to be interconnected. In fact, even from the very beginning, God in Genesis 1.26, He said, Let us make man in our own image. That's the most confusing and a Kind of an affirming statement for God to say, let us, all of us, were designed by Creator God. And when He came to developing man, not humans, He said, or not uh, animals, He said, let us make man in our own image. Us, our, us, our God. That doesn't make sense. What's going on? What are we talking about? Well, this is part of what makes God a mystery. This is part of what makes God magnificent. This is part of what God ma- makes God very beautiful. We serve one God who's expressed himself in three persons. Each of those persons are distinguishable yet indivisible. You can't separate them. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in God the Holy Spirit. We call this the Trinity. We call this the triune Godhead. It's one God expressed in three divine persons. Craig, I need you to explain that to me a little bit more I can't and I want. That's what makes him God and you not God. That's what makes him God and not us God. You have to have faith. That's why the Trinity does not make sense to our minds. Which establishes the fact though that God within himself, church, is a community. God in the Godhead is a community. So whatever he designs, whatever he creates, whatever he makes, bears his image. We are by very essence community beings. There's no such thing as... As a solitary human being. There's no such thing as a solitary individual. We are community beings in our very nature. Life on this planet really is a team project. Now some of you have never looked so discouraged in all your life. You're probably like me. You don't too much like. But life is a, a team project. Now we've come to a situation here in Hebrews 10 and uh, we need some context. Text without a context is pretext. You know, you take the text out of context. All you got's a con. You've heard it time and again. This is one of those that we really need to look at because the context of the book of Hebrews is very, very interesting. This was a letter written to Hebrews, right? Uh, Which is a group of Jews who were no less probably living in Rome at the time. And I want you to know where this group is coming from. They've been taught the Torah. The Torah is the Old Testament. The Torah Specific of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Of course, by the age of twelve at Bar Mitzvah, even Orthodox Jews today have memorized the first five books of the Bible. I was in Israel a few years ago and I was listening and prepared for the bar mitzvah, and these twelve-year-olds are just standing in front of the welling wall quoting all of Genesis. It was it was quite remarkable. The human mind has great capacity. And um, and so nonetheless, th- these these Jews had now been taught the Torah and the Torah has now turned by the time the writer writes this to about 600 laws and regulations. About 600 plus. There had customs and traditions in the synagogue and animal sacrifices like Pastor Chad talked about last week, which is to cover the sins of Israel, not take away their sins, but to cover them. And now they've believed in this for years. All these Jews have. And and, and now the message has been preached to them. Craig, what message? The message is that Jesus is the point of it all. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Now the animal sacrifices. Jews, they were only temporary. God never meant for them to be eternal. Jesus is the point of it all. These rules and regulations you've had for 2,000 years, they're just they just—they're just temporary. It wasn't about animal sacrifices in the first place. It was about God becoming a man. And in God becoming a man, He was to come to the earth and pay the penalty that you and I owed. That He was to die on the cross. Jesus fulfilled the law. Christ is the end of the law, Romans 10.4. It wasn't about animal blood. It wasn't about animal blood in the first place. It was about the once and for all sacrifice of God becoming a man. He has taken our place. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And now it's not about fulfilling 600 laws. It's not about uh, uh, sacrificing animals anymore for custom and traditions. Now it's about simply trusting in Jesus. Now it's about putting your hope and faith in Jesus. And if you have trust in Jesus, you have a relationship with God and life becomes clear. It's about loving him. It's about worshiping him. It's about trusting him. It's about laying your life down for him. Now the Hebrews heard this message and they said, we're in. That sounds amazing. And they start following Jesus. And everything seems to be going great. And then they realize. People don't like us. These people are really mean. Like they're getting their selves flogged. They're, some of them their homes burned. They're, especially the other Jews. that they're, they're busy in the synagogue. Trying to make all their animal sacrifices. Keeping 600 laws and traditions. And. And they see these other Jews who are simply believing in Jesus. And now they start blogging about them. They unfollow them on Twitter. They write mean comments on their Facebook wall. They reply to every comment on Instagram. Give them no likes. It gets a little bit worse. Now they... They make the the, the time to start flogging them like blogging and flogging. Like that's a bad combination. They're getting hurt. Some are executed. Others are eaten by lions in Rome. Christians being eaten by lions. These Christian Jews. Messianic Jews. So this letter was written by the writer to tell them, hey... We know it's bad, but don't give up. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't go back because they were starting to go, you know what? We really love Jesus, but but this is painful, man. And no one likes us. And, and I don't want to be eating my lions anymore. And I want my kids dead. And this is just... This is just bad. I I just Let's just go back. Let's just go back to the way it used to be. And others said, well, we can't just totally go back because, you know, we still love Jesus. And so let's just kind of love Jesus and sacrifice our pets, you know. Let's do both. Let's let's just kind of have Jesus over here and a little bit of his blood. And then we'll go kill our goats over here. And let's just kind of combo them. Can we kind of combo the Old Testament, New Testament? Can we kind of do both of these for a minute? And yet Jesus and the writer of Hebrews makes it explicitly clear that either Jesus is enough Or he's not. And they're urging them, the writers urging them, don't give up. Don't go back. Don't go back to where you used to be. Don't go back to how you used to think. Don't go back to how you used to live. Don't go back to your old relationships. Jesus is enough. Stay the course. And I've just got news for you this morning. This message is for anybody in this room who are streaming live, somebody who is hearing my voice, that anyone in this room who feels like giving up, whether it's giving up on God, whether it's giving up on what you know about Jesus, whether it's giving up on about what you've heard in your spirit man one day, whether it's giving up on a relationship that seems to be going nowhere, this is a message for you. If you feel like giving up in an area, this is the message for you. And I believe that God, who by his grace is here and can strengthen you today, that some people in the room who feel like, you know what, I'm going to give up, that today God will give you the power to endure whatever it is you're going through. I'm believing that there are some who came today. And you know what, you're at the end of your line in your marriage and you're thinking, I got to give up. And you know what? But God's going to give you the strength to continue on today. Maybe some of you are in this room and you have a prayer and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to give up on praying for that person or this individual because God hadn't answered it. And, and yet today you're going to have the courage to get back down on your knees again and pray again. I pray that God will give you enough courage to continue in the journey God wants to do in your life. Now, if you want, I just want to say this up front. If you feel like giving up, You are officially normal. Can I just say that a minute? If you feel like giving up, you're normal. Welcome to life on planet Earth. And if you never felt like giving up, you're an avatar. Okay? We're thrilled that you're here. We just didn't know you you lived in America. Please introduce yourself to me out front after this gathering. I need to meet you, avatar. Giving up is normal. It's a part of the human condition. For the rest of us humans, the feeling of giving up is it's normal, folks. It's what it means to be human, this painful planet. Mom said there'd be days like this. There'd be days like this, my mama said. Days that are challenging. Days that are difficult. Days that are rubbing you. There will be days that are challenging where you want to throw in the proverbial towel and say, I'm going back. There's not even good, valid reasons to go back. Go back to what? It was worse back there than what it is now. But but I'm done. This emotion's real. I'm calling it quits. Pastor Craig, I'm exhausted. I'm fatigued. I'm stressed. I'm confused. I'm done. I'm going back. Now, the writer makes it abundantly clear that the writer who is convinced, who, by the way, is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, which which we now can establish the fact that God believes that not giving up is a team project. Not giving up in life is a team project. Please hear me. If you don't hear me say anything else, I am persuaded through and through that not giving up is only possible when you live life in community. There is no such thing as the ability to say no to giving up when you are isolated. You only cannot give up by living life in community, by living life connected to other people. If you you're trying hard not to give up by yourself, you probably will. But it becomes very clear, and I'm going to draw out some of these words just for a minute, draw out some of these group words, and let's just see if we can, I don't know, maybe draw some conclusions. Let's just, you ready? I'm going to read the passage again. Let's see if you can draw any conclusions based off of our text. Hebrews chapter 10 10 verse 19 therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without weathering for you promises faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You get the point, folks? For those who didn't get the point, let me recap it for you, real quick. There is an us, a we, a we, an us, an hour, an hour, an hour, an us, an hour, an us, a together, another, another, a together. Are you picking up on the theme? Do you see what life in Christianity is about? It's pretty obvious this thing called journeying with Christ is supposed to be we. It's not supposed to be me. It's supposed to be us. It's not supposed to be I. It's supposed to be together. It's supposed to be another. We are supposed to do this together. The writer does not say you should, although we like that in America because we're an individualistic nation. He didn't say let me. He says let us. Let us. Let us. Us. You were designed to live in that space called let us. Let us. And here's the good news when me doesn't feel like doing it, we can swallow up my me in victory. When I feel like giving up, we will not give up. And my I is lost in the we, and I remain. I'm telling you right now, folks, I am telling you, as sure as I stand on this stage, I am a trophy of we. I am a trophy of us. I am a trophy of our. I am a pastor today because there is power in God's community. I am a pastor and a leader in God's church today because there's power in the community of the church. There is power in us, we, and our that can help you, me, and I from giving up. And the writer believes in writing a a prescription, so to speak, For anyone who feels like giving up. And if you're in the room and you feel like giving up in some area, we see it's like there's three pills in this prescription. Here comes the three pills. Here comes your three pills. Your three meds prescribed by King Jesus. Healer, doctor, Jesus. Each one of these is derived by the phrase, let us. Let us. I want to look into these lettuces. That's what I was going to call them. That's what I was going to call the message originally. I changed it, lettuces. I want to look into these lettuces. As long as we understand that each one begins with let us. Listen to me, church. Much of the Bible, there is this assumed understanding of community. That you understand, what did Jesus say I'm building? I will build my what? church, that God is building his church in the earth. That's not just a Sunday meeting. That's a community of people that are dedicated first to him, then to each other, and then to the city they find themselves in on this planet. That's what Jesus Christ is building. Jesus said, I'll build it. And he meant his global church is made up of individual local churches. That's all together. This is what Jesus is doing on the earth. He designed you for community. Why? Because there's safety in community. There's power in community. there There is protection in community. So here's the three pills. You need to take if you feel like giving up. What does he say first? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What in the world is that? That's colorful language. Let me pause, give us some context. What's he doing? This is steep. This verse is steeped in ancient Jewish literature, ancient Jewish teaching, ancient Jewish tradition. For instance, he says the mercy seat. He talks about the tabernacle on display. The spilling of God's, uh, the blood of sacrifices on the mercy seat. God's wrath was appeased so to speak momentarily when the Jews did this. A Jewish mindset would totally understand Hebrews ten twenty two. So please understand the essence of the writer and do not get caught up in the colorful language. You need to understand what he's saying. What is he saying? He's saying let us draw near. In other words, here's your first pill. Let us go to God. Let us go to God. Let us go to God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go to God. Let us go to God. What are we going to do? I feel discouraged. We're going to go to God. Now, I've noticed, anybody with me, an alarming trend in my own life. An alarming, alarming trend. In prayer, for instance, which is one way to go to God, it's called dialogue. It's communication with God. Which is a practical way, but I've noticed this alarming trend in my own life. That when I should pray most is oftentimes when I want to pray the least. Have you noticed this? This is a problem, folks. The times that I want to pray most is the times that that, uh, I I shouldn't or I'm in the the, the best place. Prayer is always a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But oftentimes when things are going great, that's what I want to pray most. But I don't want to pray when I'm running into some problems. This is a major problem in my life. You've probably run into some well-meaning Christians before. I know I have. And they're like, hey, you need to pray. You're like, you need to pray. Like I've prayed more than you in the last week for your last five years combined. I don't want to pray right now. I'm going to go home. I'm going to put my headset on. I'm going to play Xbox. I'm going to talk to some gamer in Japan. I don't want to pray. I'm shutting out the world. I'm going to play Xbox. I'm going to watch TV shows. I don't feel like going to God. See, when I don't feel like going to God, I need some us who are willing to go to God with me. Are you with me, church? I need someone to come over to my house, pull the headset off of my head, and say, you know what? The person you're talking to doesn't even know you. And say, we're going to pray. That's what we're going to do. I don't feel like praying. I don't want to pray. I don't care what you feel like doing. I'm going to pray. We're gonna pray. What do you mean we're gonna pray? Yeah, we're gonna pray. I'm gonna pray over you. I'm gonna walk around you. I'm gonna lay hands on you. We're gonna pray. What do you mean we're gonna pray? I don't feel like praying. You're gonna listen to me pray for you. Well, I don't want to listen to you pray. It don't matter, you better shut up. Let us go to God. Let us go to God. That's what we're gonna do. Oh, I don't feel like it. I'm discouraged right now. That's why we're going to God. Let us go to God. I don't feel like praying right now. I don't feel like it. I'm discouraged. I feel like life's beat me up. That's why we're going to God. That's why we're going to God. I don't want to. Be quiet. We're going to God. I'm going to go. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to walk around you. Ashley and Bob, they're on their way too. Ashley and Bob, they know where I live. Yep, they know where they live. I told him your address. Are you serious? Yep, they plugged in GPS. They're on their way too. Ashley and Bob. When Ashley and Bob get here, I'm gonna pray for you. Then Ashley's gonna pray for you. Then Bob's gonna pray for you. Then I'm gonna pray for you. Then Bob's gonna pray for you. Then Ashley's gonna pray for you. Pray for you. I don't feel like it. I, I, I know that's why we're gonna pray. Well, I, 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 we're gonna go to God, but I'm tired. That's fine. You don't have to pray. Just sit there and shut up. We're gonna pray. We're gonna walk around you. We're gonna pray. Come on, church. When did community get so lackadaisical? There is an element here in Hebrews that that uh, that community is aggressive that you don't have a chance to say no. We've lost this in Western Christianity. Let us go to God. I don't care if I don't want to go to God. Let us go to God. There is power in us. There is power in we. There is power in community. We're serious, folks. Life is hard, is it not? Life is challenging. Anybody face some difficulties? You face some real pains, real challenges. These pains are real. Difficulties are real. Life on this planet is very painful. It's very difficult. We need community that says no matter what, if we have to, we will drive to your house. We will set you up on your bed or chair and we will pray for you. We will pray for you. Why? Because us... Is going to God. I don't care if I don't feel like it. Us is going. We are going to God. Now notice the issue addressed by the writer. The writer says, why are we going to God? Look, look at the scripture. Why are we going to God? Because we have this full assurance. Everybody say full. Notice that. We have full assurance of faith. Because we fully trust and believe that our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience. Word evil there means guilty, means condemnation, means shame. The writer is saying, here's the core issue, church. You know what I believe the core issue of why people want to quit for? You know why they want to go back? It's not too convoluted. It's not too complex. Don't make it convoluted and complex. It's not. Here's why people want to give up. Because they feel bad. I don't blame them. Feeling bad sucks. January to about right now. I've been feeling bad in the stomach and the back on a daily basis. It sucks. Sometimes in life you're just like, ah! I feel horrible. Tired of this. It's how you feel, isn't it? And feelings are real. I don't care if it's not based in Scripture. It's a real feeling. It's a real emotion. So the writer says, we're going to go to God. Why are we going to go to God? I don't want to. I feel bad. And because I'm bad or I'm, you know, feeling bad, God must be mad, right? Well, no, he goes and establishes the fact that no matter how you feel, our faith is not anchored to what we feel. Our faith is anchored to the fact that Jesus has taken our sin. Jesus has taken our wrongdoing. Jesus has taken our bad. And so theologically we are persuaded when it comes to God, we are righteous, we are accepted, we are loved, we are forgiven. Translation, God is not mad at you. God's not mad at you. This is why we go to God. We go to God because He's not mad. We go to God because He's wanting to help. We go to God because His yoke is easy. If you're like me, I just tell you, my greatest error in life, theologically, scripturally, I have made God in my own mind like me. I've gotten really good at it too. Anybody else gotten really good at this? I've made my father like I am. So, and I'm pretty good. So if I'm bad or feeling bad, then that means God must be mad at me because when people are bad to me, I get mad at them. So if I'm bad, then God must be mad. And and if my feelings are fickle, then surely God's feelings are definitely fickle. And if I'm inconsistent with my faith at times, then surely God is inconsistent at times. And so what we do is we jump and we take these quantum leaps and we come to these terrible, horrible conclusions when in fact, God is not like you and God is not like me. Not anything like us, in fact. God is faithful. God is good. Justice has been served. He is bound to his law. Jesus said, it is finished. That means you have been completely justified, completely accepted, completely made right with God. And God's favor uh, uh, still remains on you. God's love remains on you. And God's uh, approval remains on you, no matter how you feel. And God, this morning, is permanently smiling at you. Now, listen to me, church. When you have that perspective, it is almost impossible to go back. It's almost impossible to give up. Let's go to God. Let's go to God. But we need someone to remind you that God still loves you. God is for you. Wow, I need this, y'all. We need this reminder. I need this reminder. God still loves us. God's not mad at us. He's still with us. Let's go to God. Let us go to God. Here's the second pill you got to take when you feel like giving up. He goes on in verse 23 look what he says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Notice that the confession of our hope for he who promised is faithful. We are always going to have hope. Everybody say hope. Love always necessitates hope. We as believers always have hope. He said, let us always be people of hope. That's your second peel. Let us always be people of hope. Let us always ensure that hope is relevant and apparent in every situation, every circumstance, every equation of life. Hope is always available. Hope is always present. Hope is always there. Hope is always available. Now notice this. He says, why do we have this hope? Our hope is anchored to what? He talks about the promises, but he said he who promises faithful. Now catch this just for a minute. It identifies the promises, but more than the promises, it identifies the promiser. The promiser. See, church, the promise is only as good as the promiser, right? Like, I can promise you a million dollars. Don't get excited. I cannot deliver. Promises mean nothing if they come from a faulty non integrist promiser, but notice this: he is the promiser who is faithful. The promiser is what makes the promises great. Our hope is not anchored to positivism. Our hope is not anchored to be happy. Our hope is not anchored to flattery. It's not hope. Our hope is not anchored to the proverbial glasses half full all the time. We're just positive people in the 21st century American Christians. We're just going to be positive. We believe in the power of being positive. We just believe we're just going to put our heads in the sand and act like everything's good, and we just. We just believe everything's okay, but it's not. It's okay. it's not okay. It's hurting. I'm bleak. It's dark. It's but you know, let's just smile. Let's just be happy. You know, you're hurting too. Yeah, I'm hurting too. Just smile. It'll all get better. Yeah, yeah. That's weird. No, no, our hope is anchored to a person. Our hope hope is not fleeting positivism. Our hope is not. A kindness or emotion that comes, this hope we have anchored in God's faithfulness. You know what that means? This hope we have is anchored in who God is. That means no matter what. And I do mean no matter what. There is always hope in our life. This book, and this Bible you and I read proves that no matter what. And I mean no matter what. In life we always have hope. In death we always have hope. We always have. So whether you kill me or whether I live, I have hope. I still get hope. My hope is heaven. There is hope on this planet in Jesus Christ. And there's hope in every certain situation. Every perspective. And there's hope in the the next place. Now notice he says, where does hope come out of? Hold fast the confession of your hope. You know where you can sabotage your hope? With your mouth. You know where you can amplify your hope? With your mouth. You amplify or you sabotage your hope with your mouth. You hold fast the confession of hope. You know what that means? That means you need somebody when your mouth is sabotaging your hope, somebody in the church to walk up to you and say, I'm going to get my mouth involved and you shut up. There is hope. There is hope for you. You need to to close your mouth and you need to understand there is hope. This is what he said. Let us hold fast the confession of hope. When my, my mouth is sabotaging my hope, when my mouth is sabotaging my future, my situation, I need somebody else's mouth to get involved in my mouth and begin to say no there is hope let us hold fast the confession of hope some of you say craig you and pastor chad you guys are the pastors and preachers i listen to most Eh, that's not true you are the preacher you listen to most and you're perpetually preaching to you a sermon series every single day of your life and and, and quite honestly some of your sermon series are bad y'all they're horrible we would not put them on the wall out there they're pathetic They're horrendous. People come to church all the time like, Pastor Craig, you know, I'm wondering why DP is preaching really well. And the message is really good. But but somehow these sermons are not getting through to me. Because my 45 minutes doesn't stand a chance when you're 24-7, 365, every moment of every day preaching a sermon series to yourself. I don't stand a chance with the rest of your week. That's why you've got to get hope on your mouth no matter the circumstance. He said we hold fast the confession of our hope. We don't sabotage our future. We don't sabotage our hope with our mouths. We got to build ourselves up, he said. Build one another up. Preach the word of God to one another. Why? Because the word of God is hope. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. I tell people in this church, it's going to work out. God is faithful. God is here. God is true. God does not lie. God does not change his mind no matter what we believe. Come on, church, we trust. Come on, God, we'll work this for you good. I don't know how he's going to do it. I have no idea how he's going to do it. He's going to do it because I've never seen the righteous forsaken forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God's going to do it. I don't know. I know it's difficult. I'll cry with you. I'll pray with you. I'll get down on the altar with you. But it's going to work out. Why? Because there always remains hope. There is no situation that's beyond the hope of Jesus Christ. We hold fast. The confession of hope. We are people of hope always. Can't take our hope. Kill us? We got hope. Burn our bodies? We got hope. Can't take our hope. Of all people on earth, church, Jesus people have the most hope. We have the most hope. Hope is always available. Hope is always present. Hope is always active in every situation. Yes, your spouse that doesn't know Christ. Yes, your your, your family member that you've been praying for for five years, there is hope active in that situation, in that circumstance. We have to be agents of hope in our city called Woodstock. we got to be agents of hope. Hope. Hold fast the confession of our hope. So let us go to God. Let us hold fast. Let us always be people of hope. Here's the third pill. You Ready? He goes on and says, let us consider, that's interesting, how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, let us consider ways to encourage one another. That's your third pill. Let us consider. Now, that word consider is a pretty interesting word in the Greek. That Greek word consider means to sit down, pause, and carefully, strategically, and intentionally contemplate how you can encourage someone else. Wow. Sit down, pause, reflect, think strategically, intentionally, how I can. Specifically, the writer of Hebrews says within your community. Now, this writer is writing to Jews who are being persecuted, some dying for their faith, some are being killed. And here's the last part of the prescription He says, Hey, you that are getting persecuted, I want you, uh, here's the last part of the prescription think about someone else. Think about someone else. Encourage somebody else. I'm discouraged. I ain't gonna encourage somebody else. Some people say, you know what, I'm done with, I'm done with church, Pastor Craig. I've been to church over and over and over. People won't shake my hand, they won't give me a hello, they won't give me a hug. I come in every Sunday morning, I stand there with my hand out. Nope, 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 no one hits me. Nope, nope, nope. I- I'm just done. I'm done with church. Well, if you know Jesus, listen to me. Scripture teaches us that when we get together, that when we go to church, that we should have already set down strategically, intentionally planned on Saturday night how we're going to look at someone and say hello, how we're going to look at somebody and say hi, how we're going to look at somebody and give encouragement to someone else. Let us set down strategically, intentionally, and proactively determine how we're going to encourage one another. Now, imagine what would happen at Dwelling Place if every Saturday night we strategically thought, who's going to be there tomorrow morning? How can I encourage them? And we walk in on Sunday morning, and it's not about us, and we're not looking for what God can do for us today. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna strategically think and ponder how I'm gonna. How, before we ever got here, I'm gonna encourage you. You know what? You, you are great at that. Did you know you're great? At that? What's your name? My name is Pastor Craig. You are awesome at that. Did you know you got an amazing shoes? You got awesome shoes, girl. That's am- you look at your hairline, brother. That is amazingly, amazingly beautiful. You know, hey, you hey, hey, don't make it up, right? Don't make it up. But you can always find something about somebody. He says let us consider and Craig this is how I'm going to be encouraged yep it's the paradoxical life of a Christian he refreshes others will himself be refreshed you refresh you need encouragement encourage somebody else think about someone else build each stir one another to love and good work stir one another not neglecting together you see that Now, that word meet together is this idea of a great assembly. That's what we're enjoying right now, a great assembly. He says, don't forsake that. we got to get together and encourage one another. But notice the objective is not limping in saying, somebody better do something for me today. I hope Pastor Chaz got a good message. Help me, Jesus. My lips are bloody. Dear God. No, he says limp in because limping's part of life. But you limp in and say, how am I going to encourage somebody else? Where's somebody else that's limping a little worse than I am? And somebody around here that's limping a little worse, had a little bit tougher week than I did. And I strategically find ways to encourage folks. We start doing community like this. And to give up in the middle of this church, you're going to have to be Houdini in a straight jacket. You are literally going to have to be the best escape artist on the planet. And we've already had people come and go in this community, and they were Houdinis. They did everything they could to try to get out. They did everything they could to work themselves out, and there's nothing that hurts me worse as a pastor with spiritual defection, and people that have to be escape artists to get out. When you live community like this, you have to be a magician to get out of community. You have to be a magician, sincerely a magician, to give up in life. Why? Because we're going to protect you, we're going to speak God's word over you, we're going to love you, we're going to promote, we're going to encourage, we're going to serve, we're going to love, that when you are in your worst place, literally the darkest hour of your life that you've ever been, we're going to be there for you. We're going to be there for you. You say, Craig, well, why do people give up? When well, people give up, look at Hebrews chapter 12 in our final passage. Look at verse two of, or verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. He goes on. says, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Notice that. I love this passage. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Everything. And the sin that so is entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And notice what he says. He then goes on and says very clearly, verse 3, notice this, consider him. I love this. Go on to verse 2. He says in verse 2, that fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know why people stop? You know why they give up, why they go back? It's because they lose sight of the object of their focus. I'm not making this sermon up. Look, taken directly from this passage. He says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us and that That can make us think, like, run really hard like Abraham. Don't quit. Don't disappoint David. But he shifts the focus in verse 2 and says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Can I say Jesus is the object of our focus? Jesus is the object of my focus. Jesus is the hope of my endurance. Jesus is the author and perfecter of my faith. Did you hear those two words? He's author and perfecter. That combination, author and perfecter, is not used anywhere else in the Bible, nor in the literature of this time period. The entire first century has no one being author and perfecter. Why? Because Jesus is in a class all by himself. He's in a class all by himself. No one else you can call the author and the finisher. One translation says the author and developer. I thought about subdivisions. House we still own in Cleveland. One translation says this subdivision or developer. One, When I think about a subdivision, you take a big piece of land and the developer goes in and master plans it master plans all the lots. You know what Jesus has been doing? Jesus has been master planning the subdivision of your life and my life. And Jesus, let me just tell you, it's starting a subdivision and then having to close it down or back out because the economy got hard. There are no, fore- no foreclosures in the subdivisions that Jesus Christ develops. He's perfect at what he does. Like my my seven-year-old told me on Monday night, he said, he said, sometimes, Dad, you're not perfect. Like your sermons, he said, they're not perfect. And Mom's not perfect too. And Mom told me I don't have to be perfect when I ride on my sheet. And Handwriting. But Jesus is perfect in all his ways is what he told me. And everything he does. And I said, keep preaching it, Knox. He is perfect in all his ways. When I bought my first house, I was 21 years old. I was scared to death to buy a foreclosure. I asked a respected man, an executive pastor at our church. And I said, would you drive by my house that I'm going to buy in Brazlton and tell me what you thought? I went to my lender at Wells Fargo. I said, would you just drive out there since you live in Brazlton? I want you to drive out there and see what you think. Tell me if it's a good house. Tell me if I should buy. It. Tell me what the quality is. He called me after he went by, and he said, uh, "He said the house looks nice. He said, I got a question for you. He said, who built it? I said, I don't, I don't know who built it. The lady who's selling it to me is from Keller Williams. Her name's Pat Schubert. He said, I, I don't need to know who's selling it to you. I don't care who's selling it. I need to know who built it. He said, that's what you need to find out. Go find out who built it, and then get back with me. He said, I can't tell you if it's a good investment for you until I know who built it. The scripture says endure hardship because Jesus is the builder of your life. And when you have the confidence in the quality of his work, then all of a sudden, no matter what shakes in your world, no matter what difficulties you face, when you know the builder that he from the foundation of the world was spinning the galaxies in order, surely he's able to build your life and my life according to the specification of the master architect. Surely he knows where to lead you and where to guide you and where to push you. He can build your life according to his specification and He. He will not fail and he will not falter, and he finishes what he starts because he's a good and faithful God. He is a builder. Who's the builder of my life? Who's the builder of your life? His name is Jesus. And if he built it, you can put the confidence in it because you got a warranty. The builder told you if anything goes wrong in this house, he ain't going to throw you to the wayside. He started it and he stands by it and his kingdom cannot be shaken. I feel like that with somebody in this room this morning. You say, you know what? I feel like my house is shaken. I feel like I got termite in my walls, so to speak. But when you know the builder, he will come over, knock out the walls. He will rebuild the walls. He'll put new studs in and build the thing from the ground up. Why? When you call out upon the builder, the builder is always faithful. When everything shakes in your life, you need to know the builder. And the reason some of us are so afraid of our life falling apart is because we've lost sight of who the builder is. The builder. We've lost sight of the object of our focus. The object of our focus. He's the Alpha and Omega Church. He's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. But I want to tell you, not only is he my A and my Z, he's my L-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S, he's my B-C-D, he's my A-B-C, he's all of it in between. He is everything. He is my everything. He is more than enough. Just don't stop. Keep your eyes fixed on him. I love the ending of this passage. Go back to Hebrews 10. I love this part. Casey, would you come? I love this part. Look at verse 39. (laughs) He says, but we're not quitters who lose out. (laughs) We don't go back. Mm -mm. Oh, no. (laughs) We'll stay with because we're survivors. And we're trusting all the way. We're trusting all the way. I love this part. The writer says, we're going to make some declarations. We're going to make some declarations of who we are. Everybody say we. This is who we are, Hebrew says. It doesn't say this is who you are or I am. And I am and you are don't have to be this at all times. But here, he said this is who we are. So if you can understand the power of we, even when I and me are not, we will take over. We will take over. Let us get in the, jet stream of we get in the slipstream so to speak if you're a biker get in the get in the current of who we are he says we're not those who go back we're not those who go back we're those who continue on we're those who trust those who keep moving forward we're not quitters and when i want to quit i get swallowed up in we we are those he said Who believe? We are those who have faith. We are those who move forward. And I just want to, in the message Bible, you see it, he says we're survivors. We're not going back. We're not going back. And I want to declare sincerely, this is what I want to declare today. I want to declare this over our church. I want to declare this over our community. I want to declare this over who we are individually and who we are as a community. Listen to me. I'm not saying at every moment, he says, whatever it is back there. I don't know what back there is for you. I don't know. If that's what you want, you say, Craig, I want to go back to it. It's more comfortable. I don't want to have to risk. I liked when life was back there. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm fatigued. I'm confused. I'm out of energy. That's okay because we aren't going back. So I, me, and you can be discouraged, but we are moving forward. Us is going forward. If we stay in the house, if you stay in the we, if you stay in the us, if you stay in the our, if you stay in the house, you will not go back. Are you hearing me? You can only go back when you separate from the we. We will not go back. We don't belong to those who shrink back. I'm not saying you'll run forward. Listen to me. Some of you are so beaten up. I'm not saying you'll even walk forward. But let me tell you what you will do. At least you're going to stand right where you are. And you're going to stay in the stream. And you're not going to go back. You're not turning around. There's nothing that belongs back there to you. You're going forward. You're not putting your hand to the plow and turning back. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're moving forward. You're keeping your feet settled. You know what? This is going to be a haven. I'm just going to make a declaration. Dwelling Place Church is going to be a haven and a refuge for broken, fragmented people who have every desire in life to go back. But you know what When they get in the weed, they are not going back because we will go to God. We will hold fast our confession of hope. We will find ways to be encouragers to one another. When somebody comes into this church and says, I'm done, I'm exhausted. We are not a church that is (gasps) and sucks air. We say, oh, welcome to the club because we wanted to do that too. I wanted to give up too. I wanted to turn back too, but... Yeah, I've been there before, and I needed somebody else to be the we, but now I'm the we, and you're the I, and you're the me, and you're the you, and so now I'm going to tell you we ain't going back. We are moving forward. Let us go to God. Let us hold fast our confession of faith, and let us find ways to encourage one another. See, so much of life we think is about reaching the peaks. Folks, life is not about the peaks. The peaks may come, but you know, to be honest, if you read the New Testament, life is just about lasting to the end. You understand this? It's just about surviving. I'm not kidding you. Go read it. Trusting all the way. We're not those who shrink back. We we trust. We're spirit-filled people. Some of you so discouraged, fighting depression. I was ministering and counseling this week and talking about the benefit of being filled with the spirit because when I was filled with the spirit at 18 years of age, I've I've never gone a day since that day not praying in the spirit, praying in my own prayer language. I never, my life feel like I'd make it to where I am now in my Christian journey without the blessing of being baptized in the Spirit. And there's times even when when you pray in the Spirit that that as you pray in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then begins to, He said pray with your mind and pray with the understanding and pray without the understanding. Pray in the Spirit, pray, sing in the Spirit, sing in... With your mind, you're seeing with understanding. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4. And here's what's so amazing is that when I pray in the Spirit, what happens is, is I pray in the Spirit, it seeps down into my psyche. And I've seen people get set free from depression. I've seen people get set free from anxiety because that stuff seeps down. When the Spirit of God intercedes for you with groanings that words can't express, you have to know that we belong to a people who will not give up. Life is not about going backwards. It's about God building His church for this reason. Listen to me, don't underestimate the significance of a handshake. Don't underestimate the significance of hugging somebody on a Sunday morning. We have a lady who was a part of our church for six months. Her name is Cynthia. I remember the first Sunday she came, she came with her sister named Angel Rose. Cynthia lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. I just talked to her a few weeks ago. Cynthia was going through the horrible, nasty breakup and divorce her family completely deserted her. She was living in Kent. No one from her entire family was here. Her husband moved her here. And then he got involved in another relationship and left her to the wayside. And she was going through a horrible, horrible situation. She came to church, and I remember engaging with her. African-American lady, probably in her mid-60s. And I was talking to Cynthia and just began to build a relationship. And we'd see her every Sunday and hug her and encourage her. And I never forget church. I'm not kidding. I was standing right here at the door on a Sunday morning. I know I'm off live stream for a second. That's okay. I was standing right here at the door. And you know how far it is from the, the front door right here. And I opened the door at the beginning of a service, a gathering. And when I did, Cynthia walked in. And I crossed the room from this part. I said, hey, Cynthia, it's good to see you this morning. And she was, I mean, it's like she was shocked and she came up to me. I hugged her. She said, Craig, I was absolutely flabbergasted and floored when you called me by my name this morning. She said, for the last five years of my life, I've only been treated like a piece of paper and not a person. Don't you ever underestimate the strategic, intentional planning of ways to encourage one another, to spur one another to love and good deeds. That word encourage, what's the root word? Courage. Courage. I used to think encouragement was like this. Freely edification. To encourage means you leave this service today, this gathering today, with more courage to do what God's called you than you did before you came in. More courage. You feel courage. You have encouragement. Your soul finds courage. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. Let us go to God. Let us Hold fast the confession of our faith and let us always, he said, find ways to encourage one another. Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org.